quite unfortunately, there's some truth in what this gentleman just said, is there not? I mean, we're not spiritual ignoramuses. We know that Jesus is the reason for the season. We got that down. But still, at Christmas time, uh, all the statistics say that stress kind of rises incredibly as your to-do lists rise exponentially, and you've got everyone coming over to your house, and some of the people coming over, you'd rather not come to your house, but they're relatives, so what do you do anyway? So it creates stress, and you've got to find the right present, then you've got to figure out how to pay for it in stress and stress. Well, family and people over and festivities, and they're good things. For the most part, we should enjoy them. But if we're not careful, those things will just, we just won't have time for the reason for this season because everything else is stressing us out. Uh, several years ago, like 12 years ago, I think, uh, my family decided that we were going to give each other a trip to, we we're going to have a Christmas vacation. We were going to go downtown Chicago. So us Griswolds, we all headed up, went downtown, and uh, we got a, a, a hotel room for a couple of nights. I mean, Lauren is eight, Nathan is five, Andrew's three, Sammy's just born. I don't know why we thought this was going to be fun, but we went down. <laughs> we're, we're, we're shopping down the Magnificent Mile. I don't know if you've been to Chicago. It's just Beautiful. I mean, thousands and thousands of people and really classy Christmas decorations everywhere. And there's Bloomingdale's and Nike Town and Saks Fifth Avenue. You don't buy anything in these places because you can't. But it's still really cool. There's full band, Salvation Army. Not just a guy with a ding, but the whole band. And then there's Santa Clauses everywhere. And uh, we rode in one of those uh, carriages with the horse with the little Christmas Santa Claus hat. Ate Chicago pizza. It was just a blast. We really did have a good time. Next day, Therese took the girls to the American Girl Cafe, and I took the boys to FAO Schwartz. I mean, if you've never been to FAO Schwartz, huge toy store. I mean, just like huge, huge toy store. Three, three stories. You got to, so busy, you had to like wait in line to get in. It's just packed out. But we're in there looking at everything, and we're on the, the third floor of FAO Schwartz, and okay, it's getting ready to time to go. So I get on the escalator to go down. Nathan gets right there next to me. But Andrew pulls away. He's, I think he's afraid of the escalator. He's not sure what to do with this thing, so he won't get on. So Nathan and I are going down, and Andrew's still up here, and all these people are, of course, getting on right behind us. And so the gap between myself and my three-year-old son is widening. Andrew, get on, get on. And he won't get on. And I'm not able to run up the escalator and knock over all these people. So I said, Nathan, go, go, get me with your brother. So he goes off. And the way it worked is you had to go down another story before you could wait in line and then take these things back up. 15 minutes later, I get back to the top and my boys aren't there. And I'm not panicky yet. I should probably be, but I'm not. I'm just, well, they're not here. They're here somewhere. I'm sure there's thousands of people. They're here somewhere. So I find a clerk lady and I say, you know, I've lost my boys. She said, well, how old are they? I said, well, five and three. She says, just a moment. And she gets her walkie-talkie. And all of a sudden, five people, I mean, I mean, immediately, five people are around me. There's a, a, a bum-looking bag-type guy. There's a sketchy-looking uh, punk-type person. There's a mid-wife, female mom shopper person. They're all security, close, you know, uh, no, no uniform security people. But they all gather around. And the lady says, okay, they're watching the front doors. You take this bathroom, you take that bathroom. You run. And so they got it, got it, and they scatter. And suddenly, I start to panic. I'm going, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, this is big stuff. These guys are prepared for this, which means this is probably a, a real thing. And so I'm freaking out. So I'm walking through the top level of FAO shorts, just screaming, Nathan! Andrew! 
and they're not paying, you know, they're gone. I don't know, they're gone. And I turn the corner, and there they are sitting down watching this big Blue's Clues thing on the screen. And I'm, you know, first you're going, ah, you just want to hug them. Then you want to wring their neck. Don't you ever, next time you get on that escalator, it's not going to kill you like I'm going to. And you just want to. Now the crazy thing is, we had Christmas all around us and Santa Claus and toys. It was a wonderful time. And the stress level was just incredible. Christmas does that for us. And, and let me tell you, you don't want stress. The recent study said 43% of all adults suffer adverse health effects from stress. The study said, I, I don't, this is what it says, 75% to 90% of all doctor's office visits, visits are for stress-related ailments and complaints. Stress can play a part in problems such as headaches, high blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, skin conditions, asthma, arthritis, depression, anxiety, constipation, and diarrhea. You don't want to be stressed out, right? The Occupational Safety and Health Administration, it's OSHA, declared stress a hazard of the workplace. Stress costs American industry more than $300 billion annually. The lifetime prevalence of an emotional disorder is more than 50%, often due to chronic, untreated stress. Christmas has a present for you and I. And it's, it's wrapped like Uncle Harry or wrapped like whatever else, but it's stress. What do you do? I mean, some people, you know, decide they're going to go, we're going to have a Walton's Christmas this year, and we're getting out of here. And we're gonna... You can kind of try to do that. It's difficult to do in our culture, so... How do you handle the stress? I, I think that, that there's an answer other than the trying to do the Walton's Christmas thing. My, my, my dad, when I was a little boy, just loved Christmas. And probably because he grew up on the other side of the tracks, as it were, very, very poor. Uh, if you can think of what comes in your mind at Hillbilly, that's where my dad grew up. Uh, Hills of Tennessee, junk cars in the front yard, coon dogs and a still in the backyard. Just very, very, very... Um, so I don't think he ever got anything for Christmas. And so for our kids, I mean, they pulled out the plastic and we had all kinds of stuff at Christmas time and all kinds of decorations, lights around every single window, anything, railings, anything you could put lights on. My dad had lights on it inside and out. And the mechanical frosty and big, big candles and a big picture of the old gentleman himself tacked to our front door and, and mistletoe on every single doorway and, and all kinds of Santa Claus knickknacks throughout the house and, and candy and it was uh, the, the Christmas tree ashtray my dad smoked we just, it, was, it was all over the place uh, the one thing that we had that was probably had some semblance of the real meaning of Christmas is we had this itty bitty nativity uh, probably the finest nativity SNH green stamps could buy at the time. But his little plastic thing, I, I, it had silver glitter glued to the top of it. The little figurines were glued in the bottom. Uh, and we set it right on top of the, you know, the RCA, our family altar, and we just kind of uh, had it there. And, and I, I remember as a little boy, as always a reflective sort of person, that I would, for once in a while, just stop and stare into the, into the stable. And I would think... I wonder what Mary's thinking. He's a 15-year-old kid. She's thinking, man, what a nine months. This has been crazy. And what's Joseph thinking? Is he thinking, 
I sure hope that really was an angel nine months ago. I mean, what did I, it, was, it was kind of surreal. And can they even talk to the wise men? Maybe they speak different languages. And, and these, these shepherds, this Judean mafia is in there with them. And, and I'm the angel. I'm thinking, man, Hollywood couldn't write something so complex and intense as this. Wow, what are these guys thinking? And I, 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 this is my, my guess. that The cure to stress, the cure to making Christmas... It, exactly what it ought to be is to stare at the stable. Look into the stable. Because if, if you do nothing, if, if, the, sta- if the nativity is nothing more than a, another you know, trinket, another thing hanging from the house, another, it's up there with the stockings, and all that, if that's all it is, you're going to miss what's inside. You have to look close. You've got to stare. And so this morning, we want to look into the nativity for just, just a minute and see some things that you can't really see with the naked eye. But things that are there, intangibles. And I would say that if you don't see those things, you, you miss Christmas. And if you see those things and meditate on them, they can change your life. Now, first of all, notice what you don't see, right? There's not a lot of lights anywhere. You don't see a, a, a fur or a balsam or cedar of Lebanon in the corner. You know, I grew up, we had a silver aluminum Christmas tree with a light shining on. It was really kind of cool. You don't see that in the corner of the stable. You don't find a, a mechanical frosty in front. There, there's not like uh, TV specials being played in, in the stable and there's no, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus, elevator music piped in and the shepherds aren't holding a bunch of cookies and the wise men didn't you know, organize a, a white elephant exchange. And you look at this thing and you go, if I didn't know better, I would say this has nothing to do with Christmas. At least, at least my Christmas. But if you look closer, and you have to look closer, you can see that which will revolutionize, change your, your, your heart. If you'd turn with me to Luke chapter 2, that's what we want to do. We just want to stare into it a minute. Luke chapter 2. Now, I'm going to give you some puzzle pieces, and then we'll tie it all together in just a second. <clears throat> but the first thing that you see in the stable is you see the providence of God. I say, the what? The providence? Yeah, providence is uh, what we say to, to, uh, uh, to reflect that God is at work in all of the things of life, the little things of life, to accomplish his will. Now, usually, you and I, now maybe not consciously, but we just work this way, it's our default system, that if something supernatural happens to us, yeah, we blame that one on God, we have no other explanation. Sometimes if something really good happens to us, we'll give God a little bit of a nod with that one as well. But for the most part, if it's something that can be explained with natural causes, we don't, we just go through Life. Now, the problem is this. I don't know about your life, but my life, most of it is lived in the realm of natural causes. I don't have opposition to natural laws happening throughout my life on a regular basis. And so what that can do is that can make us think that God is disassociated from my life. You know, he kind of like set the clock rolling and then he backed off and just watched it roll. And everything that kind of happens, it happens. And he, he'll look down on me once in a while and maybe smile because he loves me or frown because I'm doing something stupid again. Uh, but but and, it, and maybe he'll throw something good once in a while or throw a curse at me. But for the most part, he's, he's off. He's disassociated. 
Well, that is so far away from Scripture. When you look into the stable, you've got to see that that's, that's not. That's, that's a 21st century American thing. That is not uh, Bible. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. Let me be a puzzle piece here. First person we see, Caesar Augustus. Actually, that was a title. That was not his uh, name. His name was Octavian. Prior to Octavian, Caesar Augustus, Roman Empire was kind of a mess. It was uh, lots of republics. It was a lot of warring city-states, a lot of suspicion, a lot of people vying for power, a lot of uh, uh, militias out there trying to take over. It was just it was a dangerous place to be. Octavian comes on the scene, Caesar Augustus, and he's the, called the first great Caesar because what he did is he wiped out all those militias and he wiped out all those generals that were vying for power. And, and what he did is he erected a, a Roman Empire flag over every single city-state and he put Roman guards in, in all of them and, and there was suddenly peace over the Roman Empire. And this was an incredible thing because this had not been before. I mean, you dare not get very far outside the walls of your city because the next city over, they might, it's like the Hatfields going into McCoy territory. You could get in trouble. But, but now, you could go there. It was fine. There were Roman guards in your place. There were Roman guards in their place. It was, we're, we're on the same team. It was okay. Then what Octavian did is because he wanted to unify his whole empire is he built an incredible road system between the big towns. There's no reason really for one before because you really didn't want to go there. But now, trade opened up and, and the transportation system and people began to travel. Travel this is where travel agencies began, I think. And, and people began to travel. And on top of that, because they traveled, uh, because the, the Roman Empire had opened up to all, uh, there was a common trade language, which was Greek. Before you might go to a different town if you could get there safely, and they'd speak a different language. You couldn't, you couldn't communicate with them. But now there's one trade language through the whole empire. And on top of that, because there is safety, because there is, 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 is this peace, because there's a transportation system, because there's this language that, that unifies the empire, people quit thinking about, uh, am I going to survive? And started thinking about, what's the meaning of life? They began philosophizing and, and being open to the arts. And this is why I tell you this. Galatians 4.4, 4, key verse, actually, for the coming of Christ. It says, but when the time had fully come, that means when the time was perfect, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. When the time was perfect, you know, if in fact Jesus would have come a handful of years before this, good possibility the gospel wasn't going to get out of Jerusalem because you didn't travel, because it was too dangerous. But now, but now with the, with the uh, peace, with the transportation system, with everybody thinking about deeper things of life, with people open to, to literature, they're open to the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're open to the letters of Paul. They wouldn't have been before. And it's been said that, that never before, and really not since then, has the world been as ready to receive the Messiah. So when you look in, in the, the, the manger, you just need to know 
that when Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem, there's a reason why they're there, and it's by a guy, because of a guy named Octavian. Now let me give you the second piece of this puzzle. You need to know when they're there that they're in a place called Bethlehem, right? We know this. But Bethlehem is 100 miles north of where they were living just a few weeks ago. I mean, Bethlehem is 100 miles south of where they were living just a few weeks ago. Uh, this like distance between here and Cleveland. That's a long walk. That's a long donkey ride. Uh, you, you, and, and Bethlehem, though, is no Cleveland. You don't go there. I mean, it's like McCain. There's absolutely no reason to go there. Unless you're from there, maybe you go there. But other than that, who's going to go there? Now, we know that they've got ancestors in Bethlehem. But to our knowledge, they've never been there before. To our knowledge, they don't have any real close relatives there. Just way, way back, they have people who trace to Bethlehem. That's why they've got to go. And so the so, uh, problem is, think with me for a second. Mary is nine months pregnant, and she's hanging out in Nazareth. Now, this is why this is a problem. Because there's a prophecy. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small, this is written 500 years before Jesus, twice our country's age. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. He's, he's, he's eternal. And the prophecy is that this, this Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. This was not an esoteric kind of prophecy that we can see in retrospect, because remember when the Magi came to Herod? Now, Justin preached on this last week. And they said, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And so Herod called in all the scribes and stuff. And he said, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they said, well, Herod, duh, Micah tells us he's got to be born in Bethlehem. I mean, everybody knew this. And Mary and Joseph had to know this. They were, they were biblically literate. They weren't illiterate. just because They knew the word of God. They had to know this. So what are they doing? With Mary nine months pregnant, hanging out in Nazareth for crying out loud. Either they just didn't connect the dots. I mean, they were human people. They were frail. They had limitations. They had a lot of stuff going on. Maybe they just missed this one. And I, I love this. Because even though they were trying to serve God and love God, they still would mess up, blow it. But that didn't limit God. God was able to get them exactly where they needed to be. Exactly where they needed to be. Maybe this morning you're in Bethlehem. And you, you look at it and you say, you know, this is not what I would have chosen. I don't think Mary and Joseph would have chosen this. This is probably what not they envisioned for their, for their first child, to be born in a barn. I don't think so. But, but that's where they are. And maybe, maybe you look at your own life and you say, you know what, I just don't like this. Let me ask you, are you afraid this season? Is there something that scares you? Maybe you feel like a victim of life, of situations, of circumstances. You just, maybe you, you, you've bought into the assumption Consciously or subconsciously, there is a God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he loves me kind of the way he loves everybody, just kind of generically. Um, maybe as a church, not just FAC, I think the whole church, we can buy into this naturalistic philosophy that says, you know, God's way up there and he's kind of kind and nice, but really we're on our own. You know, we gotta, we got to do it. You just got to know that God is in control.
of your life. In situations where you look and you go, this is not what I would have been. This is not the way it's supposed to go. Oh, yeah, God is in control. I can't explain everything. Let me tell you, look at my own life. I can't explain it. But God is in Look at this. Matthew 10. What a great, it's a great verse. Are not two sparrows sold for penny? Jesus is talking. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. He cares for the birds. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Listen, if in fact he wasn't in control, you should be afraid. Because life is a scary place between the North Korea thing and the ISIS thing and just everything is spiraling at a much greater, greater speed, it seems. Uh, You've got accidents and viruses and all kinds of things you should be afraid about. But Jesus can say, don't be afraid. Because God is in charge of you. When you look in, in the manger, you, you have to, to, to realize that they're there. Even amidst their limitations, God got them exactly where he needed them to be. That the gospel might be realized. That the gospel may, may spread. And likewise, he's over our lives as well. First thing we see and we look deep into the, the stable. It's the providence of God. There's a second thing you see, though. And that is the, uh, an obedient heart in, in Matthew chapter 1. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace... He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he'll save his people from their sins. Joseph... It says he was a righteous man. That doesn't just mean he was a good guy. That's actually a title. Uh, In our culture, prestige is determined by your education. How much do you have and where did you go? And and your job, what do you do? And who do you know? And how much do you have? And what do you drive and where do you live? This is our culture. But in this culture, those things were the most important thing. Was to be considered... The classification is a tzaddik. It's a righteous man. And that's somebody who, who knows the, the old, our Old Testament law and lives by it completely, 100%. They understand it. They're immersed with this thing. They know it. it. It spills out. If you were to follow Joseph along because he was a righteous man and you were to write everything he said, you'd be writing the word of God. And if you were to write everything he did, you'd be writing the word of God. And if you could be in his head writing what he's thinking, writing his motivation, you would be writing the word of God. Joseph was a tzaddik. He was a righteous man. But he was a tzaddik with a problem because his fiancée was pregnant. And he knew this wasn't by him. So what do you do? Well, you know, the scripture says, according to what version you have, it says, because Joseph was a righteous man, this is, some versions will say, because he was a righteous man and did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her privately. That word because 
can also be translated although. And I think that's the better translation. Although Joseph was a righteous man. He did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, but decided to divorce him publicly. Because at Sadiq, he's got to do the law. But what does the law say? Well, Deuteronomy 22 tells him what the law is supposed to happen here. So she shall be brought to the door of her father's house. This is a gal that ends up pregnant. By the way, they would kill the guy as well if they could find him. But there the men of the town should uh, stone her to death. She has done an outrageous thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. Joseph, as in Sadiq, he lives by the law. This is what the law says. He's supposed to, by denying this wasn't my child, he's supposed to bring Mary. He's supposed to institute this thing and instigate it and have Mary killed. So although he's a righteous man, and he knows what he's got to do, he loves Mary. And he's thinking, either she's an incredible liar, or she's having this mental breakdown. She really believes this, this stupid story about an angel thing. But there's enough going on in his heart. I think he's not believing her, but he's not sure what to believe. He's just a bit confused. So he doesn't want to go down this road. He doesn't want to do this. He's Sadiq with a problem. So what do you do? He knows what the law says. Uh, they decided he didn't want to go down that road. And so he takes Mary as his wife. Does what the angel says, take her as wife. But here's the deal. I don't think when the angel came, he said like, Oh, I'm glad it's true. Because he knows. No one else is going to, no one else is going to believe. They don't believe. I didn't believe Mary. And I love, you think the people are going to believe me and Mary? No. And they don't. And so as soon as he takes her as... Because the law says what he's supposed to do. And so instead, when he takes her as his wife, what he's doing is he's admitting guilt. Saying, the baby's actually mine. And keep in mind, these guys couldn't just mm, get lost in the passion of the moment because they were never together. And when they were, they were fully clothed multiple times over. If, in fact, this kind of thing was to happen, it was going to be a premeditated thing. And so by Joseph taking Mary, all the people... Realize that what Joseph is, is what, he, what they thought he was saying was, this baby is mine. In other words, I really don't care about the law. And they're thinking, this guy cares nothing about, but by satisfying his own flesh. He doesn't even really care about her. Because if he did, he wouldn't put her in harm's way. He, he's, he's playing this game, trying to fool us all, make us think that he was a godly man. The, 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 the pervert. You know, he's never going to be on the board of elders. He's never going to help out with the youth group ever again. He's going to have a reputation, and he carried it until the day he died, that, that he didn't care about God's word. When he died, sometime between Jesus being 12 and 30, the only people who thought he was a tzaddik were Mary and Jesus. That was it. When you look into the stable... You see Joseph standing there. You've got to realize he paid an incredible price to be there. Joseph came to the crossroads that I think all of us have to come to. He could choose. It's important to me what the people think of me. I'm a Sadiq. I'm not going to risk my reputation. Or he could choose obedience. It's really cool, isn't it, when you're obedient and still people think nice of you. That's really nice. And when you're obedient and they don't, you want to defend yourself to the hilt. That's just kind of a natural thing. But, but Joseph, when he came to that crossroad, he chose 
but he was going to obey. What an amazing, amazing thing. Obedience does keep sheep. Now, what we need to know is, is obedience sometimes be dangerous. I know we, we, we say the safest place to be is in the will of God. How many people have heard that? How many people have said that? But I, I don't know. I guess it's according to how you define safe. If you define safe as a 21st century American good life, uh, probably that's a very wrong statement. I mean, tell it to Jesus who died at 33 in the will of God, right? Or Stephen who was stoned to death because of his faith. Or Paul who had his head cut off because of his faith. Or uh, any of the reforming uh, reformers who were executed because of their faith. Or the myriad of Christians going on today who are killed because of their faith. Or Jim Elliot, whose body was filled with spears because of his faith. Or Bonnie Witherall, who missionary, Alliance missionary in 2001, who was murdered because of her faith. Sometimes obedience, this is just important, obedience will take you to a place, materially speaking, less than disobedience would have taken you to. So when we seek to obey, we can't have this American faith thing that says, well, I'm going to obey and somehow it's all going to turn out financially and, and fiscally and materially and health-wise glorious in the end because it's not. And not until we get to heaven. Following Jesus sometimes costs and those who follow him truly are willing to pay the cost. Now, I, 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 I love this because uh, Joseph, look at the Joseph figurine for a minute. Now, I, I know it's an artist's rendition, but he doesn't have veins popping out of the side of his neck. He's not got this scowl on his face. He could be pretty ticked off, walking all the way from, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, complaining about Octavian all the way. You know, Caesar Augustus, he's the Antichrist. I know he could have got there and then been ticked off huge at every, every innkeeper. They couldn't have kicked out some healthy person and let us in the room. He could have been upset at God shaking his fist. You could have had him in the, in the, in the stable going, but you don't have that. Now, again, I know it's an artist's rendition, but there's nothing in the text to make us think that he's not really at peace. We sang a minute ago, and we sang falsely so. The, the kettle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I don't think that's true. But what, we sing in church, sorry about that. But what, what really amazes me is everything's going south, everything's falling apart, but no complaining does Joseph make. Now, let me ask you, maybe for you here this morning, you are really up in Nazareth right now. You should be in Bethlehem. He's commanded you to do something. Sever that relationship, uh, serve here, give that, do that thing, quit doing that other thing. But you've thought long and hard about it. Well, maybe not as long and hard. But you think the cost is too great. You know, I, I, just, I, just, I, just can't, I just can't do that. Think about Joseph here for a minute. I mean, this was, a, this was a dangerous road from him. First of all, it, it, there's no Holiday Inns. There's no McDonald's. And when, when you're making that kind of 100-mile walk, uh, when it gets cold, you get cold. When it rains, you get wet. That's just the way there is. So there, if you're outside the caravan, you've got a target on your back as far as thieves go. Uh, on top of that, fiscally, he, he, we didn't take two weeks vacation leave and go. Paternity leave didn't exist. So he had to board up. His business, this was going to be a month's thing. 
And we know it was going to be a lot longer than that when it was all said and done. But it's cost huge. And Mary's condition, she's nine months pregnant. What OBGYN in his right mind is going to say, oh, she's nine months pregnant? She can ride a donkey across the desert, I think. She'll be fine. That'll be okay. And he knows. And Mary knows. This is the Messiah. If something happens to him, the whole world is sunk. We can't let anything happen. And so I could see Joseph saying, you know what? I'm going to obey God before I obey Octavian. God's called me to obey him and not, not Octavian. But see, Joseph realized, point one, God was sovereign over even Octavian. And so he went. When you look into the stable and you see Joseph, see active obedient heart. Some of you are up in Nazareth. You need to be down in Bethlehem today. and You know what the issue is. Maybe you're in Bethlehem, but you've complained and griped all the way there. You know, we're okay, I'll go, I'll go, because I'm supposed to obey, and I'll be the mark. You know, and you go. And, or maybe someone has issued a decree, or the doctor has issued a decree, some health thing, and you don't have a choice. You can be down in, in, in Bethlehem. You're there. Uh, but you're on a happy fast, you know, it's like, you know what, I, I refuse to be joyful, to be kind, to be nice, until things turn around. And we just got to be real careful, if you're there, that we don't start laying out to God what the, what the qualifications will be for me to be a faithful person, for me to follow. This is what has to happen, God. Let's, we're gonna, we're gonna, this is what you better do. And until A happens and B happens and C happens, I am not going to. We got to be real careful. When we look into the stable and you see Joseph, you've got to see an obedient heart. That's what he wants for all the people who follow him. Joseph, you and me. Providence of God. Obedient heart. There's a third thing in the stable. Kind of focus on the manger part, though. And what do you do when you see look in the manger? What's in the manger, right? If you've got a nativity like me, mine, and I can't really see this one very well. But it looks like a kid has got a head full of hair like he's a toddler and it's usually curly. For mine, I've got a picture at home. He's blonde and uh, he's got ca- Caucasian looking. Probably Jesus didn't look that way. You know, and he's got, maybe he's doing one of these. <laughs> and you wonder, what is he doing? What, what is going on? With? And he's got the aura coming out of his head. <laughs> Probably that's not accurate. And if you see that, you can go, oh, that's cute. And partially, you see that and go, well, that's just... It almost makes Jesus look cartoonish because it's not real. But when you look, look really close at that baby. Because what you need to know and remember is that one year before this, he was up in heaven. He didn't have a body yet, so I don't know what he, he looked like, but he existed from eternity past. Remember, his goings forth will be from of old, from ancient times. He's... It, it, he created Adam and Abraham, and he appeared to Moses in the burning bush. He walked with Adam in the cool of the day in the gardens. This is, this is the second person of the Trinity. This is Jesus. When you, when you look into this manger and you see this baby Jesus, you need to know that 15 years previous, he, he created his mom. And, and, and you need to know that the reason why he came, it, it, it's very ironic because we think, oh, the wise men came to him and the shepherds came to him. He came for them, is what happened. Because he knows Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the shepherds, every one of them, and you and I, we're, we're lost, we're separated from God. So he came to show us who God is. And as he grew, 
And he was crucified. He was crucified on a cross that had Mary's name on the top of it, that had Joseph's name on the top of it, that had the wise men's name on the top of it, that had the shepherd's name on the top of it, that had my name on the top of it, and yours, to take care of our sin. And then God the Father resurrected him. He was around for 40 days. And then he ascended to heaven. But before he left, he said, I'm coming back. When you look at that baby, you need to know that in, 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 in Scripture, 20% of this book talks about prophecy about Jesus. In the Old Testament, there are 46 prophets. Less than 10 of them talk about Jesus' first coming, you know, born of a virgin. Less than 10, 10 of them, 36 of them, talk about when he's coming back. In the Old Testament, 1,500 verses talk about when he's coming back. In the New Testament, 1 in 25 verses talk about when he's coming back. For every time his first coming is mentioned in Scripture, his second coming is mentioned eight times. In Scripture, New Testament, every time the atonement is mentioned once, the second coming is mentioned twice. Jesus talks about his second coming 21 times. Over 50 times, you and I are told to be watching for it, to be ready for it. When you see this baby in the, in the manger, you've got to know this is not the end. Oh, man, his second coming, when he comes back, it's going to blow this away. It's going to be a lot more amazing and powerful. So this Christmas season, dealing with the stress and the Uncle Harry and all the good things, good th- kind of good things, uh, but we got to deal with them. But you don't want to like walk through my house when I was a little boy and just focus on the garland and the, the, the silver tree and the mistletoe and the Santa Claus... Sometimes you've got to stop and just stare into the, into the, into the stable. So this is, this is your assignment. Shortly, we're going to take down our nativity scenes, pack them up. And before Mary and Joseph lead that parade of wise men and shepherds and animals from the mantle to the attic, you need to make sure that the kids are in bed, no one else is home, whatever else. You get your cup of coffee or tea or whatever, and just stare into the stable and see the providence of God over my life. See the uh, active, obedient heart. That's what he wants for me. That's, that's the best gift I can give him this, this year. See the awe and the hope of Jesus where you come before him and you just don't have a lot of words because there just aren't any. You're just in awe and that's worship. That's worship. Christmas, it doesn't have to be just stress, it can be the Savior. It doesn't have to just be chaos, it can be Christ. But it's dependent on you and I if we'll stop and stare into the stable. Would you pray with me?